0: So if you had to boil your life down to one sentence, what would it be? What would you say that you are about? What defines you? I have to think about that for a sec. As you sit here, if you want to take some notes, you can open up the outline. What I want to do today for us tonight is really to lift the bonnet on Unichurch, Church to kind of see what we're about, to show you the engine room of what we're about as a church and what's driving this church, what makes us tick. But I'm not going to go through our vision statement, although I think that's kind of an important thing to check out. Um, I'm not going to give you a history of how we started and, and where we came from. Uh, you, you can find those things out, and they're great things to find out. But ultimately, I, I want to show you what God says Uni Church is about, why God says church should exist. And as we just heard that passage that Paul wrote and that Edmund read for us, we're going to see even more than why this church should exist. We're going to see tonight why you and I exist, why we are here. One of the key things you'll get to know about us at Uni Church, if you keep coming back over time, is that we're a church that's excited about Jesus. We're excited about Jesus and we know Jesus through the word that he's given us, the Bible. Uh, sure, we've, we've all got opinions on the Bible. Everyone thinks that the Bible is important. We have different views on, on what we think about it, different opinions on who God is and what he has to say. But I think there are two ways that we can treat the Bible. Uh, we can take God's word and we can kind of chuck it on the ground and say to people, look, I'm going to stand on top of God's word. I'm actually going to, I'm going to interpret what it says and work and fit it into my grid and what I'm doing in life. And we kind of stand over God's word and interpret what it's saying to us. Now, the other view is that we actually take the Bible and that we, we actually sit underneath it. We say, I'm going to let this be as it claims to be. God's word to us. I'm going to let the Bible, uh, with my rationality and my logic and looking at the kind of what, what's happened, but I'm going to look at what it says, at the words, at the grammar and what these guys have written down historically who've been sent out by Jesus, commissioned by God. And I'm going to work out how it changes my life. I don't stand on top of it, but we sit underneath God's word. Well, tonight and every night at Uni Church, that's exactly our aim. You don't want to hear what's going on in the head of some preacher up the front, what he thinks the best thing to say is for the world and for us. I don't even want to hear what's going on in my head. It's junk, right? We want to hear what God has to say. We want to hear what the creator of the universe has to say to us. And so at Uni Church, we'll keep sitting underneath God's word. And the first thing to note as we kind of look at this passage in this book of Ephesians is just how amazing the God that we meet there is. We see the awesomeness of God. Have a listen to the passage Edmund read. Let me just read a few of the verses quite quickly. It's like Paul's so excited about this God that he's met that he just can't stop. In verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Or verse 4, for he, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Or verse 5, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Or verse 7, in him we have redemption through Jesus' blood, that the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, his gift, that he's lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding verse 9 he's made known to us the mystery of his will and and verse 13 and 14 he's given us a deposit a guarantee marking a seal the promised holy spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession if this god is real that 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 paul is talking about here if he really is who he claims to be then i want to say he's amazing isn't he he's an, an amazing god a god who loves to bless He's a God who loves to accomplish his plan. He has a plan and he's working out that plan without fail. And you kinda of see other parts of this and, and you start to see not only is a God who has a plan, but he's a God who is a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. He offers forgiveness to people. Now it's not some kind of half hearted forgiveness. You know, the type when when someone catches you out and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like My kids do it all the time. Say sorry to your brother. Sorry. You don't really mean that. You're just like, oh, whatever. You know, the way God forgives, is like he wants to lavish it on us. It's like an aggressive form of forgiveness. He's seeking out our forgiveness. Whether you're asking for it or not, he's offering it to the whole world. All you need to do is accept it. I want to ask... Have you ever met anyone like that? you ever come across anyone that is so keen to reconcile relationships between them and you that, that they kind of seek it out, that their desire is to lavish on you so many blessings and so much good? As we kind of keep looking, we find out that this forgiveness, it, it's no cheap forgiveness. It's costly. It came at a massive cost of Jesus' life, His blood. If you're here and you don't trust in Jesus, we, we love having you here. We want people to come along and check out what the God of the Bible says and, and to actually, with our eyes and with our minds, work out whether He is who He claims to be. But, if you're here and you don't trust in Jesus, I just want you to, to pause for a second and just reflect. Imagine if this were true. Imagine if, if the claim of what Paul is saying here were true. Just to kind of see, is is it worth checking this out more? Is it worth pursuing? What this is saying is that there is a God, a God who has a plan, a God who made you, who made the universe. We're going to see why in a moment. But there's a problem between us and God and that forgiveness, relationship that lasts forever, life that lasts forever is only possible Because Jesus' blood was spilt. Because this man from Nazareth died on a cross, apparently, for you and me. As I reflect on that, as I think about that, it kind of does two things to me. Firstly, it, it amazes me. It amazes me that Jesus, the one the Bible claims, created all things. They were created for him and through him and by him, says Paul in Colossians in another letter. The one who's in control of everything, who's so powerful he spoke and creation came into existence. The one who has raised the dead according to historical accounts, healed the blind, loved the unlovable. That Jesus would willingly die in my place. Like if that's true, that's amazing. (laughs) Have you ever seen... Anyone I love like that? Any king or ruler serve like that? Have you ever met anyone who's loved you the way Jesus has? Jesus' love amazes me, but at the same time, it convicts me. As I look 2,000 years ago to a Roman cross where the creator of the universe was nailed. And as I realized that he was nailed there because of me and what I have done, I kind of get this sinking feeling inside. You know the feeling you get when you get called to the principal's office? I don't don't know if you've all felt that feeling. Uh, I have as as, as a student. I wasn't the most popular kid with the teachers. And often, um, I just, I don't know, teachers would say dumb stuff like you take a wooden piece of wood and my hand would just be in the air. I'd be like, Sir, is there a piece of wood that isn't wooden? I don't know. And be like, out. And you're like, oh, you idiot, Ron. Why, why do you have to open your mouth? Like, why, why do you have to say this stuff? And as things went on, I kind of did worse stuff. And I remember uh, being caught out for shooting an air rifle down the back of our school and at a blackboard in a classroom, standing outside the principal's office knowing that it wasn't going to end well. Uh, we'd done it. We we're allowed to have the gun at school, but not air pellets. We we're doing an Anzac reenactment for our class. and. I just remember standing there with that guilty feeling, that convicted feeling, like, what am I going to say? What are mum and dad going to say? What's going to go on here? Have you ever had that feeling? (laughs) When I think that the creator of the universe had to die to fix my relationship with God, there's part of me that goes, whoa, this is serious. This isn't mucking around. The creator and sustainer of all things had to die for me This is a whole different type of wrong i've done something so wrong so irreparable that the only way it can be fixed is through god the son dying in my place and when i look at how i've treated god and what he's done for me in jesus man i like jesus even more that he would do this for me i'm captivated by him If this is true, man, I want to know more of this guy. I want to see what he's like. I I want to be like a moth to light, to understand more of who he is and and to get to know him. Because he loves us. He's died for us. And as we look at this passage, we see that really, even more than that, it was part of God's plan for him to do that. It was part of his plan. Um, It wasn't just some accident that kind of happened like, oh, I'll die for those people, whatever. This, This was kind of what he was planning to do from the beginning speaking of those who who trust in jesus paul says in verse four it's on the screen for god shows us in him when before the creation of the world before time began before the universe existed before you and i took our first breath god loved you his plan was to send his son and, and jesus plan was to die in your place You, individually and specifically, were in mind. Irrespective of any future goodness or actions, irrespective of what you would do and how you would treat him, God chose to love you. I wonder Paul's excited in this part of the Bible. I wonder he's excited about who he is. He sent his son for you. I want you again just to suspend your doubts for a second suspend your your doubts about whether God exists and, and by all means come and look at it later and whether this stuff's actually true come back stick it under the microscope but just just stop them for a moment imagine if this were true imagine if the God we read about in the Bible was the God of the universe not some vindictive ogre but a God who so loves you that before time began he had you in his mind despite the way he knew you treat him. If this is true, then surely he's worth checking out. Surely it's worth working out, man, if he's really like that, I want to work out if he's true or not. Now, if that's the first time you've heard that, or even if it's the thousandth time that you've heard that, it's still amazing, isn't it? If it's true. Seeing this God for who he really is should blow our minds. Just send smoke out our ears to go far out. Are you serious? This is really going on? Given my cynical nature, I kind of go, why would he do it? Do you ever feel that way? Why would a God who has so much power and control create a schmuck like me, knowing I'm going to do what I'm going to do, knowing I'm going to turn my back on him, and then still be willing to die for me? Why, why would he do it? Well, Paul tells us three times in this part of the letter that he, that he's written. We exist for the praise of God's glory. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's, that's why these things have happened. Verse 12, for the praise of God's glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. We exist in part of God's plan. He made us... So that God might look amazing. If there's one thing to get from what God is saying to us tonight, it's this. It's not about you. It's not about you, the world, why we exist, what's happening. It's, it's not about you. While God had you in mind before the creation of the world, the world does not exist first and foremost for me and for you. It's not why we're here what is the purpose of the world? Why does the world exist? So the reason God made the world was for His glory, so that He might look good. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the, in the kind of start of the Bible, uh, in the Psalms, which is really like the songbook of Israel. It's the greatest hits. It's the songs I used to sing about how great their God was. In in Psalm 19, verse 1, this is one of them. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The stars proclaim glory the work of His hands. The reason God created the universe, as vast as it is, wasn't just for my good and for yours. Because before it was about me, it was about Him. The world is God's bling. It's like, have you seen it? Like, have you, have you looked at a, at a starry night and seen the Milky Way? Like, here's a picture of the Milky Way. I hope. Awesome. Apparently, it's an artist representation just saying, Um, but like we exist as one solar system within that kind of hugeness. God is saying, because I can. (laughs) I can just speak and that stuff can happen. Like as I stand outside and I look at the stars at night, I think, man, I am so small. You ever had that feeling? (laughs) When you look around and you're like, why am I here? How big is this? In this little split second of time, I'm here and I think and I... what? Man, this is huge and I am so small. A Christian writer by the name of of Jerem Bars, uh, he's from England. Uh, he was here a couple of years ago actually, doing some some lectures. Uh, he, he grew up in a loving home. His parents didn't believe in Jesus, uh, so neither did he. He says that uh, he went to university at 19, he went to philosophy, and he kind of came to the conclusion... Uh, that, and I quote, if there is no God, there is no purpose in life. Life is meaningless. That's his philosophy conclusion. That's what he came to. Now, he wasn't kind of in the depths of despair in his life. He wasn't depressed. It's where he came to, just thinking through the reality of what he worked out with, with philosophy. So clearly one morning, he got up and went, well, if there's no purpose to life, I've, I've had enough. And he walked before the sun rose, logically convinced that there was no purpose to life, towards a cliff face with the aim of jumping off. He's like, well, there's nothing. And I want to say, I think he's right. Without God, there is no meaning or purpose in life. I want to challenge you to think through where do you get your meaning from? What is life about if there is no God, if there is no moral reality? As he walked towards the cliff, he got a glimpse of the sun rising. And at that moment, he said, there's just something going on that was bigger than him. It made him think, maybe there is more to this world, the fact that the sun rises every day, that the world has such systems and structures to keep going. Maybe there is more to life than just meaningless life. Maybe behind that sunrise, there is a creator. And Jerem stopped, and not long after encountered another son, not SUN, but SON. He opened the Bible and, and met Jesus and saw the claims of the one who created all things, and who came and died for us so that God might look good. He saw life was worth living because God made it that way. God created the universe for his glory. It's His bloom. It's not about us. Well, then, what is the purpose of us? Why are we here? What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, not only is the universe created for God's glory, but you and I are created for God's glory. Paul says in verse 11, "...in Him, in Christ, we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ..." might be for the praise of his glory. In this section, he Paul's talking about the Jews, um, Israel, God's people. They were the first to get who Jesus was. They were historically God's God's chosen people. They weren't a better nation than all the others around. They were just as kind of broken as we are. (laughs) In fact, they were tiny. They were an insignificant nation on world scale, but God chose them, not because of their merit or or, or anything they did, he chose them so he could show the world how great he is. He could show his glory. Listen to this in Isaiah 48. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to cut you off. 48 verse 10. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. They're strong words, aren't they? I will not yield my glory to another. God saved this little nation, Israel, so he would look good. And he's saying, when you miss it up, when you stuff up life, Israel, you bring my name down. You make me look bad. And I will not yield my glory. Before it's about our good, it's about His glory. Both are true, uh, but there's an order to them. It's firstly about God's glory. In verse 13 of Ephesians, then Paul kind of shifts from the Jews to the non-Jews, those who kind of weren't, didn't have a Jewish background. In this world, there really only were two groups of people uh, in the way that the Jews would have written, uh, those who were Jews and those who weren't. And so to the rest of the world, he says, and you also were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Why? To the praise of God's glory. What Paul is showing here is that all humanity, Jew and Gentile, you and me, exist for the praise of God's glory. That's our purpose in life, to show how great god is to let his light shine the problem is we're more interested in the shadows aren't we we're more interested kind of doing little puppets and playing around with our lives going oh yeah look i'm great you know i can look at this i've got a shadow on the ground look at me it's about me we we get so captivated with ourselves and our life or at least i do that we often forget about the true light about god and we spend our time rejoicing in our brains or our beauty or our brawn or if we don't have any of those three we find someone else to rejoice in (laughs) but we shortchange ourselves we miss out on the purpose of humanity or what we're made for have you ever seen the moon on a clear night when it's a full moon it just dominates the sky. It shines so strongly. That's what we are to be like. See, we are to reflect the glory of the sun. See, the moon exists with, with the reflection of the, the strength of the sun. It's there. not well, it exists, but it, it shines because the sun is reflecting off it. We exist to show how great God is. But instead of being like the moon more like a black hole that kind of sucks up light, sucks it in and says, look at me. Now, the reason we were created was to make God look good. Who is the most God-centered person in the universe? God is, right? Is God an idolater? Is he like so full of himself that he's like, oh, no, because he has no other gods beside him. He's not committing idolatry. He's treating himself as God. And if he really is God, then that's actually okay. God's saying this to me and he's saying it to you. God loves his glory more than he loves Rowan Hillsdon, More than he loves you. He loves his glory more than he loves you. Now, does that sound arrogant to you? Do you kind of go, he's well, pretty full of himself? And when someone walks around saying, I love myself so much more than the rest of the world, you're like, yeah, well, you've got a few issues. Like, you need to go work yourself out. Go see someone. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a guy I just find interesting, right? He's just he's, you know, Mr. Universe. This is a pretty cool title, <laughs> Mr. Universe. Uh, he's had an interesting life. He was the American bodybuilder. He won Mr. Universe four times. Then Hollywood acting career, the governor of California, the governator. What a great name. Kind of like you've made it when you've got the name the governator, right? In his biography, he talks about um, why he hates team sports. He hates them. He says this the problem with team sports, you can't imagine. The problem with team, I can't even do it. Um, <laughs> he says the problem with team sports is you have to share the glory. The reason that he does bodybuilding is because he gets all the glory. It's like, look at me. I am Mr. Universe. I win. I don't need anyone else on my team. I'm getting, I want the glory. <laughs> is that what God's like? Sure sounds like it. But here's something we often misunderstand. My good and God's glory are the two sides of the same coin. Our good is for His glory. And his glory is for our good. As he does good things for us, as he dies on the cross and and saves us, he points to how amazing he is. Do you see how good that is for us? Yet it points to how great he is. Because our salvation is dependent on God keeping his word, keeping his honor, keeping his name. Our good is for his glory. And his glory is for our good. You see it all the way through this chapter of Ephesians, that God is glorified when He takes people who can contribute nothing and makes them everything. You see it all the way through the Bible. He takes people who are small, who are insignificant, who are all messed up, and He saves nations through them. He calls them into His family. He adopts them. He adopts us. He calls us co-heirs with His Son and offers us His full inheritance. That's how God is glorified. God's glory is for our good and our good is for His glory. Even when things happen that hurt, that are painful, that it's hard to see how it's for our good, we need to remember that Jesus knew pain. He was about to experience the greatest pain for all of us, to face death on the cross, the judgment we deserved Look at John 12, 27. It's on the screen. Now my heart is troubled, Jesus says. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus came first and foremost to glorify his father. When I went to theological college, uh, I spent four years uh, looking at the Bible and thinking through stuff. But one one of our our lecturers had been a missionary in Pakistan. He always used to love talking about when he was in Pakistan. It was like that old grandfather, right? He's like, when I was in Pakistan, he used to kind of tell these stories. Um, And that were true. But one one of the times he told us a story about his brother. Uh, His brother was a missionary as well. Uh, He'd been abducted um, by this terrorist group, not himself, but his brother, the mission organization who got him there, like a serious situation, um, missionary organization called uh, Mike or his lecturer in and they began to devise a plan of how they could get Mike's brother back. Um, and so Mike's in this meeting, sitting around the table, uh, when the head of the organization says, look, we have one goal and one goal only. We will do anything and everything in our power to see your brother escape. But at that point, Mike stopped and he said, sorry, But that would not be my brother's first goal. Whatever we do, however we do it, it must be to the glory of God. Now, that's someone who's got it right, isn't it? Who, even when when the chips are down, when the kind of time is like, yeah, I want to get my brother back, he's like, no, I know my brother serving Jesus. He wants God to be glorified before he wants his life saved. God chose you before time began so that you might glorify Him. You exist for His glory. And His glory exists for your good. The Presbyterian church, when they wrote the Westminster Confession, the the shorter one, they got it right when they said, what is the chief end of man? The Presbyterians amongst us go to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's right, isn't it? God's glory is for my good and my good for His glory. It's to be enjoyed It's not, I'll glorify God through this time, even if I have to. If we get that God looking good is for our best, and we're like, man, I want him to look good. Less of me, more of him. I want the world to see Jesus for who he is. And that's why we exist. That's why we exist as a church. The long and short of it is this. It sounds arrogant. When, but when you see who God really is, it's the only way it can be. It'd be like saying, have you noticed how arrogant the sun is? S-U-N. You know, always expects all the other planets in the solar system to go around it. You know, it's sitting there, you go, why doesn't the sun one day go, all right, look, just for today, I'll go around you guys. You want to pick one of you and I'll go around that one. It, it can't happen. It's physics. It's because the sun is so huge, so phenomenally massive that everything else goes around the sun. Well, so it is with God. He's so huge that he's not going to revolve or anything else because he's just he has the greatest gravitational pull. He is the greatest. He's the creator of the universe. There's no one like him. It's not arrogant to say, it's for my glory. It's just who he is. It can be no other way. He has the greatest worship pull of anything or anyone else in the world. But people kind of ask, you know, if God doesn't want us to boast in ourselves, then why should we boast in Him? Again, it's just the facts. It's not because of some kind of vain humility that that God has. Oh, look, I don't want you to boast in yourself because you're making me look bad. (laughs) It'd be like the sun saying to a planet, "Oh, you know, I don't want you to kind of claim to be very big because maybe I'll look smaller. (laughs) You, You can't get bigger than the sun in our solar system. We have nothing that we weren't given." Nothing He didn't give us. We can't boast because we've got nothing to boast in. It doesn't matter how smart we are or how popular we are or what grades we get or how much money we have or what job prospects we have. All of it was given to you by God. It was given to you by God for His glory, to make Him look good. In Romans 11, Paul says this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. What's the purpose of humanity? To live for the glory of God. Every decision, every choice, every day, every week that goes past, every relationship you encounter, we have an opportunity to put a smile on the face of God to make God look good. Your life is an altar where the God of the universe is glorified. That's what life is about. That's the purpose of Unichurch. It's the purpose of Church. That's what we are here for. It's not about us, it's about God and people coming to know Him and serve Him as He is. How amazing it would be if more and more and more people recognized God for who He really is on this campus, on other campuses on, throughout Auckland. Imagine the change it could make if God used us and used other churches that are doing great and preaching this the truth, the truth of the Word to, to, to bring people to know Him, to glorify Him. How How much that would make a difference in this world as we gather here we gather together so that god might look good so that as those who were once without mercy who are under god's judgment for turning our backs on god for pretending to be the sun pretending things revolve around us rather than god we gather together that now we've received mercy we've got a fresh start When we gather, we sing to one another. We declare how wonderful and awesome and magnificent is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus. That's what worship is. It's to live a life that glorifies God. When we hear His Word, we need to put our lives in His hands. As as God's Spirit makes that Word come alive and changes our hearts. That's what worship is. As we bump into one another throughout the week, uh, after church, as we hang out, we, we exist to see God glorified, to see people get how amazing He is. Union Church exists for the praise of God's glory, to remind each other of the awesomeness of God, to make much of the God who looks so small to the world around us. Have you noticed that? The world around us says, Your God is a joke, it's hammered to a cross. So insignificant. We all know the Bible was written so long ago. It's not worth looking at. The media wins. The, the world just swallows the pill rather than looking at the facts. It's our job and our privilege to be the moon to this dark city, to reflect the amazingness of God, to speak out in our lectures, in, in, in our in our lives, in our jobs, to speak the truth. not crazy. I like to believe God just because I think He's true. And actually, to look at the evidence, to point to what the Bible says. It's our job as Christians to hold out the amazingness of God. We don't make Him look better. It's like you can't make the sun look any brighter, but you can point to how bright it is. That's why we exist. At the end of 2011, in a stadium probably only a couple of Ks from here, a number of men who played rugby ran their socks off like they'd never played before. They got on that pitch and they played rugby to their best. And at the end of the game, when the World Cup was passed into the hands of Richie McGraw, and the All Blacks kind of spontaneously cried out the Harker, New Zealand was crowned the world champions of rugby. For the whole world to see, the Kiwis are the best at that moment. They played their hearts out and they gave glory to New Zealand, didn't they? They stood there and they made Kiwis proud. I bet if you're a Kiwi, you were proud to be a Kiwi on that day. World champions. I don't know about you, but I want to do for God what the All Blacks did for New Zealand. I want to see God's name lifted high in this city. I want to see all creation worship Him. I want to see this city, Auckland, flying the flag of Jesus. Have you seen how amazing he is? Do you get what he's done for us? Do you see the forgiveness we're offered? Friends, as we see this part of the Bible, there's one thing that screams so loudly off the page. It's not about you. And thank God for that. Why don't we pray that we would see God as he really is that we would serve Him with our lives and we would trust Him as Uni Church kicks off for another year. Let's pray together. Father God, tonight it's been so amazing to see you as you really are, to be amazed at, at really what you've done and, and the way you've acted and, and your forgiveness and your power. We confess that so often we haven't treated you as you deserve we've put ourselves in the center of our little solar system we've been so arrogant to think that the world's about me rather than you lord we are sorry for the way we treated you we ask that this year we might see you as you are so we could live for the praise of your glory we ask that you'd use us to point to how amazing you are We thank you for the amazing privilege we have to to partner together to to form a, a church, your church here, to see this news of Jesus go out amongst this university and other campuses and amongst this city. And we pray, Lord, that you would show this world, those who don't know you, those who are here tonight, who are thinking through who you are and what you've done, the amazingness of your son, the goodness of the offer that you've given us and the reality that your glory, Lord, for our good. We thank you so much for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.